0: Hi, everyone out there in mind-rolling land. This is Ragu Marcus, and uh, David Silver is sitting across from me uh, because we're uh, very fortunate to have David here for this lovely weekend here. Uh, he's come down to do a bunch of podcasts, yes. and happy to have you here. Thank Dave. you. Yes. It's lovely here. Yes. And, uh, and he likes my cooking. Right?
1: Oh, Rago is a terrific cook. Always was. and But, you know, many years he did not cook for me, at any rate. And then I discovered it. And that's why we have this, you know, this friendship. It's yeah. the food. It's
0: the food. You only <laughs> like me for my cooking. Okay. Sorry. Um, we have a terrific podcast coming up uh, with a very, very special person. Somebody uh, we're going to introduce in a minute, but we, we want, we're going to go back to, uh, go back. We're just going to say thanks for the support. It is absolutely changing and we're really grateful. It's changed since I think you're all are quite happy about MindPod network and, and the, this beautiful family of teachers and podcasters. And, uh, so, uh, it's all growing, uh, hand in hand with, with all of these uh, wonderful people. And we're, we're quite happy about it. Uh, So we're, we're going to not have our big uh, recommendations go on uh, right now, but we are going to say, please do use our Amazon portal for all of your purchases and know that we get a a lovely little percentage. And, And it only works if there's a lot of People doing it, and that's why we ask everybody to bookmark Dave. Uh, but yeah. at, at the same time, yeah. uh, uh, it, it seems like just, I mean, there's a donate button, and people, you have been donating, and it's really gratifying. And, and David keeps in touch with a bunch of people.
1: Uh, yeah, every one of them, you know, I'm telling you, gives you a rush because it's so unconditional and so, you know, it, it's, it's very kind. And and extremely well used, and you know we're very grateful for it. It really moves me, mm. actually.
0: Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. And uh, and as well, audible.com. Uh, you can get a free trial. You can go up there. There's a uh, there's a banner with audible and. Uh, I think you
1: can get two things now. I you think can get two books. I think so. Yeah.
0: I, there's t- obviously if you do any kind of driving or it's like listening to a podcast mm-hmm. you can listen to a book and if you're doing you know road stuff or you or you want to just relax in the evening uh obviously in the car uh, so it's it's it is a great great resource audible.com and we have this fantastic t-shirt line david i'm i see i'm th- david's wearing his t-shirt he's got his mpn t-shirt in in the color logo it's Lovely, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. But, uh, yeah. Pull your shirt down now. Okay. Give me a break. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, that's up there. Just go to mindpodnetwork.com. Again, thanks for the support and, uh, enough said on that, no matter what
1: Duncan says, uh, would just, uh, uh, um, yeah, well, I mean, but, but anyway, we have a great podcast today and, we we do introduce uh, Ryan. We yeah. have uh, Ryan LeComte. Roger, tell us a little about how you came. Well, Ryan, to know him. Yeah, he wrote
0: uh, to uh, me and my other job, not me. He wrote to info at ramdas. dot org, and it eventually it uh, was forwarded to me, and uh, somebody who just loved Ramdas's work and said, uh, "I'm I'm a veteran um, and I." Uh, have encountered uh, something that has really changed my life related to PTSD and its uh, psychedelics, and and I'm doing a lot of work and trying to help other vets out. And I immediately said, "Wow, uh, I would love David. Uh, I'm sure would agree with me, and we'd love to talk to you." And we wrote to him, and and so here ensued this podcast with somebody who comes from complete, utterly other end. Of any kind of spectrum in terms of my growing up or David's growing yep, up. totally. Uh, and he came from a military family, and uh, he went into the military, and it was really, truly, he talked to us about service. I just never encountered anybody like that. The way it was true blue, not bullshit true blue America. It was a true blue person who really believed in what he was doing. He was committed and then, of course, he uh, his story is is fantastic, and, and we don't need to tell it here. I'll tell you one thing that happened though, uh, in, in this uh, in this interview that we did with him. I uh, through after talking about two thirds of the way through, I don't know something like that, right? I remembered my own father, who had been in the military in the Second World War, and had completely lost a lot of his not a lot i shouldn't say that jesus christ sorry dad he passed a couple of years ago uh there was a a humanity issue of not and not just humanity in the sense of like he tried to kill me when i was a teenager he screamed at me all the time um not that that which was more normal i knew he loved me uh but it was more about like you couldn't remember dreams nothing Okay. Post-traumatic stress. I yeah. mean, and he exhibited it in, in different ways. Anger was one of them. And we went to India and we were with, he came to see my brother and I, and I tell the story, but briefly, it's it's amazing because I suddenly realized, because Maharaji told him, Nimkaroli Baba, told me to tell him to t- to give him some acid lsd mm. and he it all happened and i tell this whole story so uh, which i've told before well you tell it on the in, the, in I, the I tell pod- it in the podcast yeah but the the the, the i never thought before that moment mm. that really my father had post-traumatic i know it's amazing Maharaji got him to take acid just mm. like this guy's just doing like right he's now doing. he's helping exactly. people out and by the so way was,
1: we want to add here that this is carefully supervised and is uh this is not a casual thing with a lot of oh, vets. Oh, God, you know, right. This is extremely careful, and w- he will go into it. And we, we, you know, we, we want to say that this is for a specific... Oh, it's completely, utterly Real complaint. Guided. A very, yeah. very serious amount of suffering comes with these men and women, and, and this has helped. So you'll hear about it in the podcast, but we are going to say up front that this is for medical reasons and is Okay, well, you're going careful. too far. No, okay, I mean, I, no, reasons. no, it is. I mean, I you know
0: it's, we just we have, can't be untrue uh, to where we came from with this. No, no, no. They, it's that.
1: nothing to do with what we believe in it from back then. But we're just saying right now, this particular thing is not just some sort of party that people are having. It's it's a real okay. therapeutic oh, yeah, thing. Yeah, that's fair. No, it is. It's got to be said.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's fair. All right. To no further adieu. I love that term. Uh, here is.
1: What is that? Kind of it's
0: French. I thought you spoke kn- t- French. I do,
1: but that's it. To no further adieu. adieu. Oh, you mean the word adieu?
0: Yeah. Right. Oh. I love it. To no further adieu. Here comes Ryan Lecomte, ex Marine, and here is this really uh, amazing interview. Hi, we're back at Mind Rolling, and David Silver is sitting right next to me. Hi. I'm Raghu Marcus. And uh, we have a very special guest today. We always say that, so that's bullshit. Uh, He's just a great guy. We just met Ryan and who has a fantastic story to tell. And uh, in case some of you are wondering, a few weeks ago, we did a piece, uh, a podcast rather, around the use of psychedelics for therapy. In particular, this was around dying, death, and uh, working with people. With psilocybin, and uh, then of course they talked about PTSD as well. And uh, Ryan, say hi first of all, Ryan. Sorry, say hi. Hey guys, hi
2: everybody out there in internet land.
0: Uh, So great to
2: be with you guys.
0: Thank you. Mutual, quite mutual. So uh, we, Ryan, we had a, a a really great response. To that particular podcast, if you you know, that's obviously uh, it's it's certainly in the news a lot and so on. So uh, when I got uh, and it's around then that I got this email from you, and so Ryan is, but I want you to tell you so. I don't want to start to uh, in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> do uh what you so eloquently did uh on that video that i saw but but certainly here can you give us a starting point um and uh around when you first decided to go into the military and where you were at in your life in that moment can you start there
2: absolutely um service has been a part of my family for generations Uh, My grandfather served in World War II. Uh, He was in the Battle of Iwo Jima. He served with the Marine Corps. Uh, And my father served 20 years in the Air Force. uh, And he also uh, uh, deployed to the Middle East during the first Gulf War. So me being a military brat, I saw you know, some of the strengths that, that he carried, but I also saw some of the trauma that he carried from those experiences, and uh, from there, I knew it was in my blood, and so I was spending about a year in uh, an undergrad college, and it wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't finding the, the fulfillment that I needed there, so I dropped out, and I joined the Marine Corps in 2007 uh, from Tampa, Florida. And, uh, that experience has brought me now, uh, I did four years in the infantry, uh, from '07 to 2011. And, uh, that's it, the military life for me, a, a life of service. It can, it can be used sort of like the psychedelic, you know, there's, it's a tool and, uh, using the military as a form of service and a humanitarian effort. Uh, is one that I'm a believer in, and there's the other darker side of the military which uh, can be responsible for you know creating the suffering and and uh, being a part of both of those worlds is something that i've I decided that I would embrace, even though I have my own reasons for joining to be of service to my country and to my my fellow brothers and sisters in arms and responding to uh the chaos that was going on at the time and uh you know that's kind of where i'm at with the military that's what brought me to it when
1: you first did your first tour um can you for us recollect you know early memories of that like when you first got in there and saw what it really was even though you were from a military background you could only know that specific reality by being there would you tell us a little about that early those days
2: uh sure well my first uh my first realization was when I was in school of infantry, and uh, this is after I graduated boot camp at paris island and uh, one thing that that really was my psychedelic awakening was in the military when I was at school of infantry and we were told at at one point we were, we weren't executing a particular movement at a field ops mission that we were going over uh, small unit tactics. And so the instructors that were training us were initial pushers in the Baghdad. So these guys had spent a lot of time, uh, in the, in the front line, you know, so we were sort of the second wave that came in those guys swept the city and they were the first Marines in. They were training us in 2007, Hmm. and we weren't taking our training as seriously as as we wanted to. We were tired, you know, we were out in the field for five, six days. We were getting complacent, and Sergeant Hyler, I'll never forget, Sergeant Hyler was our platoon sergeant, and uh, we didn't execute a movement properly, and he, he called us all in in a school circle, and he beckoned us with tears. He said, this is what gets you killed. And I didn't understand that. It wasn't still that moment for me that was like, this is reality, and it's coming at me, and this is going to happen. I'm in a I'm in a combat arms uh, military occupation specialty. I am going to war. And that was the moment for me that really opened me up to the trauma and casualty of what war really was. It wasn't, you know... Um, what anything i've thought of or even what i've experienced vicariously through my dad's experience in his in his dad from iwo jima and uh that was a, that was an intense moment for me it was very intense that was probably the most intense moment in my entire enlistment was that first awakening
0: wow. but before you actually so high school take us back high school into Uh, And and your relationship with uh, psychedelics, was there any relationship with psychedelics at that point or even, even marijuana, which is uh, psychoactive,
2: no psychedelics in high school. Uh, I smoked pot occasionally um, and that was done with friends. So I was in a a sort of a, a protected container and we did a lot of commuting and laughing. And I really, you know, slacked a little bit in school because of that. I started awakening to, you know, how the system works and, more, you know, they say jump, you say how high type deal. And I sort of checked out of that. But um, what what happened for me is when I got back uh, out of the military, I was showing a lot of signs. And so I, I was using the VA system of, the, of depression and trauma. And I used the VA system. And I got on all these medications. Uh, I was on Klonopins. Uh, I was on... It, Several anxiolytics. I was on barbiturates for sleep. I was on a Prozac for SSRI, and I was given this in a cocktail prescription. I was supposed to take all of them together, and so that was the first indicator that this might not be good for me. And I guess to to answer, I know you asked about high school, but this is what led me up to reintegrating the process of trauma through the psychedelic and how that played out in my recovery Mm. is. Um, when I first smoked DMT underground, uh, after I got out of the military, I met a friend in, in college that was using the VA to go to school. And I met a friend and he introduced me to DMT and I had never done a psychedelic, LSD, mushrooms, any of this. I'd never heard of Ram Dass at this point. Never heard of, uh, Timothy Leary, the sixties, uh, psychedelics I thought were, were meant to be a schedule one drug. And, um, So I smoked DMT, I found the spiritual connection, and uh, the message I got was compassion. And so from that experience, I started cultivating compassion within myself, within others, and then that same sort of traumatic experience I had in the military resurfaced, and I integrated those experiences as strength. And once I was able to integrate those experiences as strength, my resilience went up, and I said, well, wow, I'm okay like I, there's still the trauma there. There's still, my soul is still in a, it is still, uh, thirsty, but I can, I can now do the work that would help me recover in a way that I need to, to be productive and connect with my son, my two sons and my wife. And I started working on relationships and that's when I found Ramdas was because of, uh, DMT, the spirit molecule. I watched that documentary shortly after, uh, my DMT experience and, uh, read Ram Dass's books and, and Ram Dass just completely opened it up and he's like, read the psychedelic experience. So I read that and I'm like, wow, uh, Tibetan book of the dead brought me out to, you know, Eastern practices and, uh, yeah, I'll let you ask more questions because I'm really stoked to be on the show. No, no, no. Th- <laughs> I this, could go on for a long time, man. No, no. This <laughs> is
1: great because that progression you just <laughs> cited is so, you know, um I don't want to use the word common because that sort of demeans it, but it, it's something that we've all, and and you know, men and women of your generation and of ours, similar kind not the military, but and not the trauma. But the you know, coming to the psychedelics and then to the Eastern uh, ways of devotion and prayer and so on. Uh, It's fascinating to me, you know, it really is, I'm not just using that word, that you came to it this way, you know, that you were able to, you know, we just did a podcast with two Buddhist teachers, and it was all about being able to not avoid your suffering, but get interested in your suffering and then be able to transcend your suffering. That's in their book. Right. And th- I think that's what you just said, Ryan. So talk a little bit more about that. F- those first realizations that came as the catalyst from the catalyst of a psychedelic that allowed you to distance yourself from your trauma. You said st- you said, I-, I still feel the trauma, but it's not as important anymore.
2: Yeah. Um, the psychedelic opened me up, and it allowed for for this compassion and and uh, from that place of compassion, I was able to face any amount of suffering hmm. and uh, i was from there I started looking for maps I started looking for ways to to sort of you know map out the territory a little bit, get a little rooted, you know, with what I'm doing and being clear with my mission. And uh, that's when I went to Eastern practices, you know, um, the Four Noble Truths with Buddha and uh, and uh, reading Bhagavan's book and how he left and, and went East and met Ram Dass and I'm like, man, look at all this stuff. It's like a huge rite of passage that we're so lacking in this country with it It seems like it's become stagnant, and I finally had that, you know through the military but but through this as well, because the the military um was it was a trip in it in and of itself, and the trauma itself was a trip in and of itself, and so bringing me back to a place of understanding. Or what psychotherapists would call re-traumatization, which is a, a necessary component of recovering from trauma, is when you're, you're able to go back through those experiences without having, um, you know, hypervigilance and triggers pop up that lock your your psyche down and, and close your memory structures down. And I was like, I did this with DMT. I had a whole therapy session that would have taken me five, ten years that I did in 15 minutes. And, uh, it, but, you know, <laughs> really? Well, well, yeah. 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 I'm like, if this can happen to me, it surely can happen to other people. And I'm sure that there's, with the suicide rate with veterans right now, there's 22 a day that are killing themselves. Um, and that's, that was released by the VA in 2012. So the numbers are definitely higher. We lost more veterans to suicide last year than to the war. Perfect. Um, mm-hmm. So as we've been talking here, another veteran took his life. It's almost one an hour. And uh, I'm like, so I have to respond to this level of suffering, but I'm also recovering myself. So I'm a wounded person as it is. Um, but how else to get this across to fast enough to, to the suffering? And I, I don't see, along with the assistance, because what, what took me uh, probably about two years to embrace the psychedelic from all the stigma, um, and to also integrate those experiences into my life. Uh, And and that took a lot of self-searching. It took a lot of external searching, Rahm's books, uh, to some extent Timothy Leary, um, and and the stuff that he was, you know, the other side of the coin that that Rahm and him were working together. Um, It it took so much soul-searching for me to do that, And the inspiration that comes out of it now is holding that suffering enough to keep me moving forward, Um, but also uh, recognizing that there are others that if they just take this drug, it is a catalyst, like you said. It's not the cure, but it's a way that helps bring up some of this stuff and bring it to the surface. And then the integrative piece afterwards is what's important. Hmm. So that's sort of what I've been doing now since I've my journey out west. Uh, after DMT, I uprooted my family. I just finished up undergrad school, and I said I'm not going into a clinical field. So we moved to uh, Colorado, and now I'm at Naropa Institute uh, under uh, Rinpoche. And uh, I feel like that these these therapies that they're offering, Stan Groff, uh, his transpersonal model of therapy is a perfect piece to integrate the psychedelic experience. And so that's, that's the goal here with what I'm doing and what I'm at least what I'm active in.
0: Mm. Now, um, this is all, sorry. Um, no, no worries. This is all post, uh, leaving the military, correct? Yes. Mm hmm. So you, obviously you were given, uh, Um, a platform from which to get a center to be able to uh, embrace everything that you're embracing.
2: So what happened was in SOI, uh, I was selected to go to 8th and I, which is a a Marine barracks in Washington, DC. Oh, Uh, I was rerouted to go to DC to carry fallen caskets at Arlington for fallen Marines. Really? My goodness. So I did that. I did that for four years. I carried caskets.
0: Oh, for,
1: oh, for wow. I did
0: not know that. I that is yeah. a
1: significant component of this. Right. Right. Huh?
2: Yeah. The exposure to suffering was just, it was, it was enough for me. And I'd lost friends in the barracks. Uh, I had a, a friend, Sergeant Leon, who we found in the barracks room. He just gotten back from Iraq. Uh, and he took his own life. We found him. He'd hanged himself in his barracks room. And, uh, you know, the level of suffering that I held for that long has pushed me forward with this with this work. How Leon was a dear friend.
0: How were you dealing with that suffering suffering in the midst of it in that moment? Can you even recall? I mean, what what were you doing to to be able to live day to day?
2: I didn't have a conscious I didn't have a conscious awareness of it at the time. Hmm. It part of hmm. the esprit in the military is to continue on and and muscle through and uh there wasn't a lot of time to really sit back and and recall and and recollect my thoughts there was so much that was going on for four years straight with with ceremonies and i didn't have a lot of time nor nor was i expected to be able to sit there and, and actually be open and be able to talk to somebody the military's microcosm is structured in a way that basically is adapt and overcome. Um, So my personal practices, I didn't have, I had, you know, a a faith in God. I had a faith in, in, uh, you know, that there was something greater than myself. But overall, my family, I probably owe that to my wife and and my son.
0: Hmm. Wow and geez, to get turned on in the middle of nowhere by DMT really <laughs> i mean yeah that's pretty outstanding who was who who was that guy
1: yeah
2: uh yeah it was it was a, a, it was a an, just a friend in school a casual friend that i knew uh we connected on a spiritual level, and I said, you know, something to this guy, you know, something to him that he knows that I don't, <laughs> and uh, it, it sort of evolved from there. He gave me a, a vision, and I remember we were sitting out in the parking lot after school at night one day, and I said, I said, Bobby, tell me, tell me a little more about this this vision you had. And so he started describing. He didn't tell me he was taking a drug called DMT. Oh. He just told me he had this vision. <laughs> and uh, so I, I moved more toward demystifying you know, what was behind this vision because I connected with what, you know, in detail, the, the visuals he was putting across to me. I said, yeah, that's right on. You know, there's definitely different planes of reality. And uh, after he told me that, I said, so what is this DMT? And we sort of just evolved from there. It happened one day after school. I called him up. I said, "Bobby, I'm coming over. Get ready. I'm ready. It's ripe right enough right now." And I did it. And it hasn't been the same ever since. But you, the, hmm.
0: there, something powered you into this because this was not a natural thing for you to do, right? No,
2: no, <laughs> big I time. Wasn't a big, I wasn't a big drug proponent at all. I mean, I smoked a little pot. I drank a little bit when I was younger, but I didn't get into the whole drug scene in my in my environment growing up. You know, I was in a, came from a poor environment and a bored environment. And a lot of times, it's people just sit around and do heavy drugs. And I stayed out of all that. And I sort of sank in academics and and continued trying to excel and and make it out of the the slum we were living in mm-hmm. um, lower lower class and so i stayed away from all that stuff but there was still this part of me that you know the spiritual aspect that i felt like i never got to as a as a kid and maybe that was it maybe it was just this thirst that i needed to get filled
0: that made you just trans just transcend whatever resistance to go say uh, uh, yeah i'm going to do DMT i mean <laughs> right yeah uh, and, of course, there's that other thing which, which brings me to a parallel with David and I and, and you. Um, well, we come from completely different worlds and countries, basically. Yeah. Um, and that is, and we talk about this all the time, and it's about a, the spark. We, you get a spark, and that spark allows you to realize, maybe in the most infin, infinitesimal way, you're truly who you truly are, a vision of true nature, whatever you, in you know, Buddhist, that would be a Buddhist thing, or uh, Ram Dass might say, spiritual heart, soul. And, <clears throat> and then you trust, and then everything changes, and then you are guided to, in your case, to a hit of DMT. And in that moment, you realize, just like us, when I... For me, it was a combination of, of the psychedelic, because then it allowed me to understand re- that there was another reality. And uh, at the same time, in, within a couple of years, I guess, few years, I met uh, Ramdas and heard that story. And that story just rang I had complete trust. And then, bang! It all just happened from there, just like you suddenly going. I'm going to go over
1: to what's his name's apartment.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, Bobby. Bobby, I'm going over to Bobby's, and you know, yeah, really, it's, it's such an yeah, entirely
1: different thing from like what I experienced, which is that living in Cambridge, Mass, in 1967, where if you, if you didn't, you know, if you couldn't have a conversation at some point about you know, mescaline and LSD. Uh, actually, DMT was not part of that menu, and when I did it, I found it uh, even even for something of a veteran at that time of that of that of that experience, psychedelic experience, it was much stronger and much. It was kind of intimidating to me, uh, actually, and it, it, so I have some sense of how powerful. I mean, in other words, I don't want to go on about myself, but I'm just saying that. I was already in that environment, right? I mean, totally. And, uh, you know, it just was de rigueur, as they say, to do that. But I wanted to do it for purely spiritual reasons. But many didn't in those days, and many don't now. I think what's amazing about your journey and and what you've already told us is that you were in it totally for spiritual reasons. And, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, and that's why you took it, in order to deal with the reality that was, uniquely yours at that time and that i find very um amazing given the fact that okay the dichotomy in this country now for taking drugs is either you take them to get high and just get laid or Mm -hmm. whatever and i'm not putting that down but it's a lot of that Mm -hmm. and then the other side of it is are those that like yourself who i think are far fewer in number actually who want it as a tool to take them a place they need to go to because they've had a glimpse of it You said before that your friend knew something you didn't know. And that precipitated your taking this substance. And that, to me, is very, very significant and and rare, I think, honestly. I may be wrong about this, but I think it's quite rare in the West.
2: It is is very lonely. Um, Sometimes trying to connect on that level... Uh, with people, you know, I can follow Ramdas. I can, I can listen to his lecture and say, yeah, that's the way it is. And when I, when I try to introduce that form or that way of looking at things and, and, uh, to others and try to connect on that level, it, I lose people. Hmm. I do. Uh, hmm. I've been working with a friend I grew up with who's, I can see, I can track where his plane is and he's, he's slowly coming around and I say, Kenny, I can't wait. I can't wait to meet you. It's been so long, you know, at this plane here that we can meet each other. And it, it's such an exciting, unfolding journey to be able to to do that. It's so filling. It's like eating a, a full-course meal hmm. after you get done. You just, you're ready to go to bed or you're ready to hang out and relax, you know. It's beautiful. I love it. Hmm.
0: So so this this is your obvious close to your personal um realization that there was a way to to transform yourself basically through this experience you understood there was a path you set out on the path you've started working with different eastern practices and uh and your next thought, I think, is what what can I do to share this, right? So, I think this is the next part of the story that you need to tell.
2: Yeah. So this unfolded. Well, I, I found what the bodhisattva was. That was a, a huge piece for me. Um, so what what brought me to to find the Eastern practices after I found Ramdas and I I started cultivating a map. Uh, I found the Bodhisattva, and I felt like I, I connected with the Bodhisattva. Mm-hmm. Um, Christ, Christ is a personal inspiration of mine, and and so I saw the connection with you know Hanuman and Christ, and then I, I found um, the connection with the Bodhisattva, and uh, so I found the heart. And once I found the heart, um, the heart opened me up to service, and this, once the service was there, I realized um, uh, the connection between Ram and Hanuman or Christ and God. And I said, it's all the same. And then from there, I said, there's nothing left to do, but start doing the work. And so, um, my next vision was to create a non-for-profit for other veterans to gather around the psychedelic. There wasn't a group out there, uh, that was, that were A, veterans, and B, advocating for an illicit substance and um, other than marijuana. And so I started Veterans for Entheogenic Therapy, and it sort of just grew. It's very weird how it happened, but once I started that group, if you build it, they will come. I mean, it was a field of dreams moment. People just kept coming and coming and coming and saying, we need this treatment. Um, the VA is, is not is not working for us. We're treatment resistant and we, we need an alternative. And sure enough, I was plugging in with a lot of the guys from the sixties. Uh, Rick Doblin is now helping me with this study. Um, and his, his organization is sponsoring our study that's going on this year. Um, I connected with, um, Jonathan Goldman of the Santo Dime Church in Oregon, uh, connected with, I mean, there's so many, so many of the originals, you know, including Naropa. I'm still, I'm meeting people that hung out with Bhagavan and at Naropa that are instructors there and have official Buddhist titles. And, you know, it's sort of just, it's this web, you know, when you start this thing, you start the connections and they just keep fanning out and fanning out and the world becomes smaller. And that's what that's really what I've been trying to do is finding the others and helping the the form that I identify most with which is the military. I feel like there's a spirit there that is important to help, you know, the service and the warrior. And so that's where I'm at now.
0: So how are people finding out about uh, and how how is it being administrated in terms of the psychedelics, and how how are you f- uh, people finding out about what you're doing? And um, I'm talking people from ex military and who have PTSD. And how are you even getting them the idea that there is a way through which you found to uh, be able to deal with this through psychedelics? So how's that all happening?
2: Um. Just exemplifying, you know, living out living out the experience in day to day life. My interactions—I sort of work as a crisis line here from home, hmm. and uh, from the beginning, you know, it was it was men and women I had served with, and uh, when it really started panning out uh, is when the CNN documentary, when the the crew came down with us to Peru last year. Um, huge outpouring after that, after that airing and, uh, veterans emailing me saying we need help. I have now over three hundred, three hundred and fifty 350 veterans that need this help. And it's just a backlog of people that, that need to go and do this, this form of healing. And the way it's administered is there's a retreat center in Peru called the temple of the way of light, um, you can visit their website templeofthewayoflight.org, and they do ceremonies. They've been doing ceremonies for ten years now down there, uh, and it's been an interesting experience. They work with Shapibo shamans, um, they work with uh, light healers, they work with transpersonal dimensions of therapy, um, and it's it's all about the integration, really. Mm.
1: And that's, that's so amazing, so people you know pardon these elementary questions, but it's 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 so interesting how this is working out so people no, people go down uh, ex-military men and women would would go to Peru and there'd be safe to do this with a as they say with set and setting with a shaman and and then report back their experiences and and sit with you or sit online with you and talk about it.
2: Yeah, so uh, the way the study is going right now, I'm actually at Naropa both for the the uh, integration piece, the therapy that Naropa offers with Buddhist-based practices and mindfulness and meditation. And so what I'm setting up while doing the, the uh, non-for-profit is a study with Naropa's IRB to get approval to do an observational study with 24 veterans that would go down, who are diagnosed by the VA with PTSD, treatment resistant, chronic PTSD. They would then be screened here and go to Peru, drink ayahuasca on a 12 to 24 day retreat, depending on how long they, they and the shaman decide, you know, the amount of work that needs to be done. And then they would come back here for integrative work here in Boulder. Every veteran would be from Boulder. And, uh, I have Jean Jacques, who runs an equine therapy program with horses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm I have I have isolation tanks ready to go. Um, Thank you, John Lilly. I have um, a love and trauma center uh, run by a guy named Saj, who was a neuropa grad. Um, I also have a team of therapists from art to somatic to contemplative. Uh, to transpersonal counseling, and all of these will be integrating the experience that uh, they had in Peru. And what we're hoping is that by the end of the 12-month study, with the follow-ups at three months, uh, that with the PTSD diagnosis that we'll be administering to them directly, we'll see a drop in their score. And that's that's the hope. And that's what I did when I went into Peru last July with a small group of veterans I was doing sort of an informal study, and I brought the measurements with me for PTSD. I I brought something else called a sleep study um, that looks at sleep quality. Uh, There's a resilience assessment, and there's there's a post-traumatic growth inventory that they take along with the PTSD eval. And I did follow-ups with them without IRB approval, without um, any sort of approval for six months. And I found that all of their scores dropped. And I said, I have to do a real study. And, uh, so that's what, that's where I'm at now is putting all this together. And it's, it proves to be difficult at times, but you know, I think you can't just take the drug and assume like Ram, you know, he took psilocybin and he said, it broke everything up for him. And what he didn't have was the integrative piece. And that's why he went to India to find well, who's got it without the drug? And that's yeah. what tore it apart for him. Was was uh, was uh, Maharaji, and he said, "Well, I want to." I remember this distinctively. Uh, Maharaji saying, um, "It's good to get high, but you have to come down. it better. It'd be better to just be high all the time without the drug." And that's the hope. That's where the recidivism, I think, will go down. Is that? Like for me, I've been high ever since my first DMT experience, in some form or another. There's been a high there without the drug. Mm-hmm. So that's the hope I have, and that's where the integrative piece comes in. Right.
0: I would tell you a story. I, it just occurs to me. It's unbelievable. My father was a World War II bomber pilot wow. for the Royal Air Force. <sighs> but he the royal canadian air force which served under the royal air, air force the the british mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he fought rommel in uh egypt in the desert and he came back and it it just occurs to me now i had a lot of trouble with my father when i was a kid i was a rebel and he was a disciplinarian and you know i had a lot of anger stuff and so on it was very difficult I didn't, but he. I knew he loved me, so it wasn't bad, right? When, say, right. You know, that's a whole other world. So, uh, believe it. So, I remember him telling me he couldn't remember his dreams anymore, and, um, and then as I grew up and um, got closer to when I was going to India, and this is in my you know early twenties, uh, uh, well, twenty three, four, whatever. I remember him. It was like he wasn't afraid to die because he had come so close, I guess, so many times. I don't know if this is a syndrome of PTSD, but thinking back, my father had some PS, PTSD for sure. <clears throat> he was really in delusion in a lot of ways. I go to India, with, and my brother comes along as well. And we're writing letters back. We just met a being you cannot believe that a being such as this would exist, that you could meet and we were going on and on and on. And he got intrigued, right? And he thought, I'm gonna I'm gonna check this out. And he came to India and I thought, oh my God, he's come how he was such a straight you know, advertising, he's like something from Mad Men. He was from Mad Men. There's pictures I have where you see the furniture looks like one of the, uh, the set of Mad Men smoking a cigarette and having a drink the whole nine yards. Okay, that's who he was. And he comes there and he actually comes there and the day that he came, where we were with Maharaji in a place called Rindavan near New Delhi. And we walked in and Maharaji immediately attacked him and when i say attacked him just blew his mind immediately said you got on the plane in montreal and it went stopped in germany indian businessman he told the whole story of his trip and my <laughs> father's jaw dropped he was like what he could even <laughs> though we told him yeah you know he's really uh, aware he's on many different dimensions at the same time you know so uh and my father anyhow so at one point and this is the uh, payoff for the story that i wanted to tell you at one point maharaji turns to me and says did you give your father the medicine i go yeah he had a cold i gave him some aspirin <laughs> and he says no 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 the yogi medicine that ramdas gave me i went acid and my father went lsd he said maharaji says to me take care of your father while he's in india okay meet me in two weeks at a, in another city and we go we go we go Ryan we go to Benares B- B- in India where they've been burning bodies for thousands of years people go there to die it's known as the you know, the end of the world B- B- Banaras Varanasi and we go there, and we were staying on a houseboat about a hundred yards from the one of the biggest places, Monarcha it's called, where they burn these bodies twenty four seven. Okay, and there's my dad on this houseboat with bodies partly; they didn't all get burned all the way because people are poor; they didn't have enough wood, right? Uh, mm-hmm. shit float i mean it was just my father's there brushing his teeth and shit's floating down it's like, <laughs> what? and he and i find some acid and i give it to him and he took it just like you took that dmt okay wow. same moment i'm telling you and my father realized then a complete realization that um, his humanness he got it back or something yeah he got that back and you know, it was okay to be afraid. It was okay. You know, he started embracing the shadows right through that trip. And two days later we meet Maharaj. He never says a word about this trip. Nothing. Right. Like, how was your acid? (laughs) Nothing. It was like, nothing happened. Oh, he said, the Ganges, it's very pure, right? It's pure water, right? It's from the gods. And, uh, and then he told my father a whole account of what happened He owned a horse farm, and he had saved a horse. I'm really going on here, Dave, right? I think this is pretty interesting. This is like a conversation between us. Whoever's interested, if you're not interested, you'll turn it on. Uh, And uh, and he had a horse that almost died. And uh, my father stayed up night after night putting uh, actually green clay on it and saved it. uh, They were going to euthanize it. My father, uh, my, Maharaji told him that whole story, exactly how it all happened. That, no, you know, he knew nobody, who would think of anything like that, right? And my father then fell apart. You know, that was it. He, The acid, knowing everything about his life, that was just, he couldn't handle it. From that day on, Ryan, he was a completely different man. And it was, du- and Maharaji took. He didn't tell anybody else to take acid that I know. Of. He used to say, if you if you're going to take it, it's okay. The first time you get to see Christ for two hours, then you got to come back. You know, that's if you've read the book, you know, the, the Ramdas's book. Um, and but uh, from then on, not only did he become human, and David knows my father, who passed a couple of years ago, uh, but he went back to India. Uh, he was with us for three weeks. That happened. He went back to India for a number of months with my sister and uh her her eventual husband and got completely transformed utterly from gra- <laughs> top to bottom and we we had a great rest of the life <laughs> yeah and it was and i'm just thinking he definitely had that i mean he had experiences in the military um that well in the second world war obviously that were uh, beyond our ken as they would say yeah. so yeah yeah, it just it just occurred to me that what a parallel.
2: That's beautiful. And what a cool dad. Yeah, I mean, cool well, guy. That but follow you all the way to India.
0: Yeah, but it's it's the uh, there's that spark that we talked about before that that drives somebody to do the right thing, mm. yeah. to know themselves. But, you know, there's a spark and a trust. Those things happen for somebody and. They happened for us when we were, you know, gonna go over to India and and so on. And they uh they happened for you in that moment at Bobby's place saying, Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this. Yeah. So
2: yeah. I,
1: actually, Ryan, my
2: Thank you for sharing that my
1: mm-hmm. turning point, which I I won't go into huge detail, was not that different from what your uh veteran friends will experience because it was with peyote and with peyote masters in a, a peyote meeting of 400 native americans and myself my wife and two other people and we um were told that we couldn't go in unless we ingested a, a gigantic amount of peyote and um we did and it 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 completely humanized me even though i'd been through other things you know and a lot of other things actually but it was so organic and so of the earth, and therefore so trustworthy, that the effects, the visions, and the tremendous feeling of compassion not only tell me about the real heart of Native American culture. This was Lakota Sioux, Grulli Sioux, Masters. There were um, It was a, an anniversary of Henry Crowdog's marriage to his wife Mary, Henry was the most famous of all the Sioux shaman. And we were invited for various reasons anyway. Um, at this meeting, there were 20, 19 or 20 other peyote masters who came from all over America to be with us, from Pueblo tribes and from Canadian tribes and so on. And the effect upon me was just the same as we've been talking about. That, you know, it just I, I wasn't in the military, and my father was quite an enlightened man, but... Um, it changed my whole life forever because of the organic nature of the transformation, you know. Yeah. I mean, we're sharing with you and we want you to share with us, but I think this conversation is circular that, you know, I'm very moved by what you're talking about because these men and women have experienced something that most of us just have not, at least in this incarnation, had any closeness to. No military experience, no confrontation with daily death and suffering and loss and trauma. Not in the same way had certain neurotic moments and confrontations like we all have in our life. But this is a different thing that you're talking about. People are much more damaged by this violence and what what one has to do, I suppose, what one has to do to serve in the military. Right. Your experience of it was unique. I mean, in other words, just sort of like this tableau of, of coffins and having to deal with that exact part of the deal is amazing to me it's no wonder that you went to well I don't want to say that it was no wonder it's just amazing to me that you were given this gift it's really a a mysterious gift that you were able to see to talk to your friend and to take the substance and to find your own heart you know and share that with others that's just really beautiful Ryan, you should you
0: should you. Uh, we absolutely need you to give us some information that we can share with uh, with all the folks out there uh, about the uh, it it is it is a a five hundred one c three a nonprofit at this point mm-hmm. yeah so give some kind of logistics for people to if anybody's interested and I know a lot of people uh, and uh, our listeners included are extremely interested. They know of uh, the major trials and tribulations of men and women who have fought for this country. And it's been a lot of years. So there's a lot of people who are coming back troubled. And there's a lot of suffering of missing members of family and so on. So I, I think there's, there's a lot of people out there, I do believe, would be certainly interested in finding out more about what you're doing so and supporting it.
2: Absolutely! Thank you guys for allowing me to share and plug plug my non for profit on your show, and thanks for having me on your show uh, and sharing su- such in depth stories. Mm. It it feels good to stop on the road and have a campfire mm. and talk.
0: About yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. It Really
2: does. Just drop packs and enjoy each other's companies, because mm. we all have to carry our own packs, you know, or we can drop and share a fish or, you know, yeah. some bread, break bread together.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, my non-for-profit is, uh, Veterans for Entheogenic Therapy. Um, if you Google, you can find, uh, our main site is VET org. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash vet entheogenic Uh, And we also, uh, we actually have a team, a a bunch of members in D.C. right now. Uh, I I just got off the phone with them, the Americans for Safe Access Unity Conference in D.C., and we're advocating for medical marijuana for Mm. symptoms of PTSD. Mm. Uh, So they're fighting the good fight. I just sat in on a conference with uh, a congresswoman and her team, and it looks like there's progress being made. Uh, and that's such a, a bigger picture of, of what these plants and, and the psychedelics and what they represent. It's more than it, the, the healing itself and, and medicinalizing it. It's, it's about human rights. And uh, being in D.C. and having that presence with veterans, uh, one person had said that the veterans are the fourth leaf on the clover in the movement for uh, the, the, uh, the freedom of consciousness, and and through these plants and through these altered states that help you find areas of yourself that you lost over the years. And so there's progress being done on that side, um, and we're going to be hosting a podcast with uh, Rick Doblin. and uh, Have you guys heard of Dr. Sue Sisley? No. She's a, a medical researcher. She's the first one to actually get FDA approval in the United States to uh, study marijuana for PTSD.
0: What's her last name?
2: Sisley, S-I-S-L-E-Y.
0: Well, we'd love for you to get us in touch with her too, Ryan. When We can do something as well. And when you do the podcast, of course, we're going to uh, connect it all up with MindPod Network, you know, that our family of low-hanging fruit...
2: <laughs> low hanging fruit.
0: That's, yeah. Well, one of our listeners said, You got all these people you've been family with for all these years. Those are low hanging fruit. Can't you find some interviewees that are, uh, you know? I said, Well, no, we're just happy with our low hanging fruit. <laughs> we'll keep it <laughs> like that. Oh, great to meet you, man. Yeah, man. Really. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. As well. And we got in, yeah, somehow if you could make it down to Maui to meet Ramdas one day, <sighs> he would love to meet you. Yeah. I know that. So put that in the stack okay as a possibility <laughs> and uh and everybody by the way uh we will have uh, all of those URLs and ways to get in touch with with Ryan and what he's doing uh on uh, mind rolling on our page on mindpodnetwork.com again lovely to meet you yeah <laughs> thanks Ryan thank
2: you guys you as well such a pleasure yeah. thank you for hosting
0: all the best